Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show and find out how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe. <laughs> I almost forgot to unmute myself. Hey, everyone. Um, hi, Jessica. Hey, Heather. Hey, Jay. Good to see y'all. Um, welcome to the October 24th episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am your host. I'm Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, uh, board member, and agent liaison for Pitch Wars and a library event planner, among other things. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking on the link in the description so you don't miss another show. So that usually comes through the morning of or the night before. And uh, you can also uh, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pub Talk Live. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below. Thanks, Jay. We're going to talk about the hat in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah. And so thank you so much to my Patreon supporters. I um, just really appreciate y'all. I'm glad to have y'all this week. Um, this week I asked them if they, who they would like to see in upcoming videos and I got some great ideas from that. So I'm excited for that. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce my guest co-host. David R. Slayton grew up in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where finding fantasy novels was pretty challenging and finding fantasy novels with diverse characters was downright impossible. Now he lives in Denver, Colorado and writes the books he always wanted to read. So please welcome to the show, David. Hi. Hi, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. I'm so glad I got to have you. Um, so I got your book from your publisher a couple of months ago, and I read it, and I loved it. And then I um, harassed you on Twitter until you sent me this lovely hat. <laughs> I'm glad you got it in time. Um, so. Go ahead. People love them. So, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I saw it when I got the book, I, I had put it on Instagram and then I hashtagged the title and was like, oh, what are the other pictures, you know, with this hashtag? And I saw the hats and I was like, I want one of those. And I hadn't even read the book yet. <laughs> um, hey, Lodestar. Hey, Wendy. Good to see y'all. So um, you see in the comments, people are saying, hey, pubbers. Um, so um a while back, I think it was the end of last year, some of my regulars uh, created a fan name for themselves. So they call themselves Pubbers, which is awesome. So that's that's what's going on there. Um, all right. So if you haven't taken the viewer poll yet, um, I just want to make sure y'all go and vote in that. And the question is, in honor of our special guest this week, have you taken an online writing workshop or course? And that will close in about 27 minutes. So um, go vote on that if you haven't, and we'll talk about it at the end. So you're in Colorado now, David, right? Yeah, I'm in Denver, um, just south of all the fires that are displacing a lot of people and animals. And um, it's it's really sad and crazy to look at the news, the amount of flames just you know going across the front range. Up, so. Wow, yeah. Um, how, how is the weather? Is it like cold up there yet? Or, oh, well, I'm, I say cold, you know, I'm a Floridian. <laughs> you probably, you probably already would have gone into hibernation, right? Like those yeah. people, um, the frozen reptiles and the robot, they got them in the car. Um, yeah, the, the, it's should, we're supposed to get six inches of snow, I think tonight. So we always get our, 
first really bad snow or at least decent snow before Halloween. And so it's appropriate that it will come this week. Oh, wow. Um, so I always grew up in like pretty tropical areas. Um, we moved around a lot, but my dad's Coast Guard. So we're usually in tropical climates. And I always remember like getting my Halloween costume ready. I would have to um, prepare, like you couldn't wear anything too hot. You couldn't wear too many clothes because it would, it would be so hot on Halloween. Um, so you can wear anything like long sleeve or, or pants really, you know, and I guess it's the opposite problem up there. You get kids in coats sometimes. Yeah, uh, Colorado is weird. It and I grew up in Oklahoma, so it, it get very damp and sometimes cold. But I don't think it was ever coat worthy. Here, though, you do get little kids who sometimes have to come to the door in their coat, or their parents take the coat off right before they run up for the candy. Yeah, we give, out, we give out books too, so they have to usually linger on the porch for a minute. I'm, mm. I'm thinking about getting one of those heaters for them <laughs> if they need a minute. Oh yeah, that would be nice. The ones that the like they have at restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oklahoma is a little bit hit or miss, right? Like it could be warmer, it could be cold on Halloween, huh? Yeah, but it's always damper. That's, and that <laughs> kind of comes up in the book because Adam travels from Oklahoma to Colorado. And it's one of the biggest things I had to adjust to is I can't, it's still, even after all these years, I sometimes like, I can't breathe here. And then if I go home mm-hmm. and there's a little more moisture in the air, I'm like, ah, oh, that's what that's supposed to feel like. <laughs> Whereas in Florida, sometimes it feels like you're just breathing in water. Like it's like abyss, you know. <laughs> you're breathing in liquid. Um, though I lived in Guam and it was worse. So oh, I've been to Florida and I tried to work out in the hotel there, and I was like, I just—it's like running through molasses. Yeah, it's different. It definitely is. Um, yeah, I—I I went to high school in Guam. And it's usually 90% plus humidity. Sometimes the humidity is super saturated, which means it's 100 plus. Um, and like literally when you come out uh, outside from the air condition, like dew forms on your skin. Because oh, your, no. your skin is <laughs> the dew point, you know. Um, and we, we didn't have a basketball gym, so we did all our conditioning outside. And that was so tough, right? Like (laughs) your lung capacity must be murdered. Like you can, you know. Well, that was that was a while ago, but (laughs) I wish (laughs) I wish I was in that shape now. All right, so we have some publishing news for y'all. Not a lot of good news this week, actually. So sorry, it is going to be pretty short. We only have a couple items, so. Lodestar is jealous of your your chance of snow. Me too. I'm like. Honestly, I don't want snow. I just want like 60 degree weather so I can wear my pumpkin sweater that I bought. Because <laughs> I haven't been able to wear it yet. Um, all right. So our first piece of news. Oh, this is a good time to mention if you haven't seen the show before. Um, any of the news items that we're going to mention are going to be um, in the description after the show ends tonight. So I put all the links in the description. So if you want to read more about any of the items, you can find them. If you're watching the replay, they're already there. If you're listening to the podcast, they're already there. Um, so uh, update on publishers raising their minimum starting salaries. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks on the show. Penguin Random House has now raised theirs to $45,000 starting in 2021. Their previous minimum was 40000 so it's this is probably I think the fourth or fifth major publisher to make an announcement like this. 
um, which is good, maybe. Um, so I did like, I think another publisher, theirs was um, 42,000. And yeah. I I used like a, a cost of living calculator to figure out like what the equivalent was in my city. And I was like, oh, that's still not that great because it's like 26,000 in Orlando. <laughs> well, and they have to work in New York, most of them. So yeah. $45,000 is not nearly enough to survive in New York. Um, mm -hmm. A friend of mine, I visited him there, I think it was eight years ago now, and he was making 64000 a year, which for, in New York at the time was working class, meaning he's getting by, barely getting by with two roommates. Mm -hmm. So I know that many of the editors I've talked to about working in, work, having to work in Manhattan, they have to train in, they have to live somewhere else where it's cheaper and then take the train from Connecticut or somewhere, mm -hmm. but distance in order to survive. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people um, talk about, and we've we talked about this, I think, the last time we talked about this topic, too. Um, a lot of people either have family help or um, their spouse makes enough money to help support them, you know, while they're working their way up. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not an easy industry to um, to make your way in, and a lot of people end up leaving. There's a lot of talent drain in publishing. Agents, too, because they really don't start to make money until they've made a, a stable of clients that have yeah. regular deals and they have some residuals coming in. So getting T.S. Um, T.S. Um, Ferguson, who's an editor who was just laid off, was tweeting about this this week or so about how people said, well, you could consider becoming an agent. And it's like, how would I pay rent before yeah. that, between now and the sales and time? I think a lot of a lot of writers don't understand that. Um, uh, the numbers I hear I've been hearing is three to five years, three to five years until you can make a living salary as an agent, which means most a lot of agents are working other jobs, um, sometimes multiple jobs, which I think is a conversation that's been happening more in public recently, which was not really happening more than a couple of years ago. Um, Eric Smith has been talking a lot about it on Twitter, too. Um, yeah, and actually, when Eric was on the show, we talked about this as well. Agents having a second job. He's great. He reps my friend Helen um, Corcoran's book. And oh, she, yeah. yeah she's, she loves him. She loves working with him. So. Yeah, he's fun. Um, let's see. What, uh, yeah. Um, all right. So moving on. <laughs> that that was probably the most positive news we have today. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's been, a, it's been a hard time in publishing. It's been a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> You want to go on to the next one, or? Yeah, um, just going back to it. So I'm so actually, yeah, you just mentioned this, so <laughs> we'll give yeah, the there's, full. There's been houses closing. Um, McMillan's closing their children's line um, down. The the Jones Patterson Jimmy line is consolidating. That one's not as negative as it could be, simply because it looks like the editors are just going to get moved around, and the author contracts will be honored. But there are a lot of the big, I think the biggest bad one that hit, hit us the hardest was Simon Pulse. Mm -hmm. Largely in my, for my, my heart, because they represent so many great um, diverse books and so many great diverse authors, who again, they'll, they'll hopefully find another home, but it closes doors and closes lines, potential lines of publishing for authors who may not already have an easy line to it. Yeah, the... Um... Jimmy Patterson. So we just had T.S. Ferguson on the show two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, right. See, yeah. 
And then, um, and then this news came out like a couple of days later. Um, uh, but yeah, the the book for Jimmy Patterson, the books are being moved over to the Little Brown Books for Young Readers imprint. Um, and the Publishers Weekly article said that one Jimmy Patterson staff member will be leaving the company later this year. Um, that's like pretty much the the most official word we've been giving on that. And um, a lot of people were really concerned with uh, the Girls of Paper and Fire series, mm-hmm. which was published under the imprint. Um, but it looks like we're still going to get all the sequels and everything. So that's good. But you mentioned the Macmillan shuttering imprint. So that was kind of like the next piece, um, which was an imprint started in 2014 to focus on branded publishing and content creation. They are eliminating six editorial positions and three marketing positions for that one. And the um, had a lot of cuts with Tor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of shift in Macmillan over the last uh, year. Yeah. Um, but all the books acquired so far will be published by other Macmillan imprints. So no books are losing their publishing house there. Um, but yeah, we had Diana Foe on the show a while back <laughs> when she was still I at really the adore, I adore Diana. I adore yeah. her. It's funny. I, I know Diana, I've hung out with her at conferences and things. I only know she has from Twitter. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to know her. Um, she came to Orlando in October for a conference. And so we got to hang out quite a bit there. She's super oh. cool. She's one yeah. of my favorite people in publishing. And I'm glad to see she's landed on her feet at Serial Box. Yeah. Um, that a side note, like total tangent. I told you tangents happen. Um, whenever I ask my Patreon supporters like um what kind of guests they would like to see that I haven't really had so far, um, one of the things was they'd like to see someone who's written for something like Serial Box to talk about that kind of um experience. Oh, Lauren, you have? <laughs> All right, we'll we'll talk about that then. <laughs> um so that's cool. Um yeah. Uh, I have a friend who has written a couple things for them, a couple of kind of smaller titles for them. So um, where are we going? See, this is what happens. We go on <laughs> <So>, tangents. <laughs> imprint's closing, um, but it sounds like the, the contracts will still be honored. The sequels will still appear, but there are Macmillan on the other hand, closing imprint means a cut in editorial edit yeah. people, unfortunately jobs eliminated. And this is a terrible time to be looking for a job to be without health insurance um uh wendy said i feel terrible for all the employees who will lose their jobs um disappointed that apparently young adults don't read as much actually that's coming up we're going to be talking a little bit about that uh actually david has it right next um next up so yeah i've been kind of wondering if maybe this doesn't say sign of maybe the young adult bubble has burst a little bit as it were um if we're talking about a reduction in what's going on. So with imprint closing, Jimmy Patterson and Bookscan's reporting that US print retail sales are up, but young adult are, um, the young adult are actually up really high. They're, they're yeah. people are still reading young adult, but the consolidation still worries me. There's a weird discrepancy between sales are up 21%, which is a super positive. I talk with my hands, by the way. So if you, anybody it's ever fine. needs kidnap me you don't need to gag me just handcuff me and that'll be it i'll be mm. um but it's weird because the, the sales are there and we're, we're seeing print sales rise in a lot of a lot of age ranges and genre but at the same time we're seeing 
these shifts happen and lines closing, it, I wonder if one's kind of leading the other or if it's just a sort of shakeout that was coming. I, I feel like there's a YA bubble that's been forming and maybe we're seeing some of that burst or the consolidation could ultimately be positive. It's yeah. Still hard to know in the publishing market. It's not as predictable as other regions in the economy. Yeah, well, in the past couple of months, we've seen a couple new imprints opening, like Heart Drum, like kind of really specific imprints, you know, like Heart Drum um, was announced a couple months ago, uh, which is a focus of, on Native stories. And um, I can't remember that we talked about a couple episodes ago. So I don't know if it's like, um, how do I say this? I don't know what the total effect is. Like, are we losing more than we're gaining? Cause I, I just feel like imprints are constantly closing and opening. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, Molly Stern launched um, Zando um, mm. that was announced this week. So like you said, the imprints are being launched. New lines are opening. I think it's just hard as, as an, as an author who goes on submission, you're, you know, you have to, most of publishing in my opinion, is about relationships. It's about the relationships you build over time with editors and agents and people because your agent has to make those connections. You have to make those connections. And if the editors aren't where they started, because the book submission process is so slow, it can really slow down the entire publishing process of, you know, I submit, we submit something to you and you're with one house, but then next month you're not. Then I, you know, I either have to wait for you to find a new home or um, find another contact to that house and build up the relationship. Uh, Wendy asked, in, in your opinion, what does this mean for the YA readers? Um, honestly, I think casual readers aren't really going to notice anything. I don't think any, much is going to change for them. Because um, basically publishers are just going to put out as many books as they could make money on, right? And um but you may notice if, if if consolidation continues, like they're talking about, I remember we talked a couple episodes ago, um, the first, second, and fourth largest publishers in the United States are all looking at buying the third largest publisher in the United States. Um, and so if we, if we continue that consolidation, I think there's going to be maybe fewer choices or, you know, fewer diversity in what gets published. Um in how it's published and how it's marketed, you know, if it's all the same, kind of the same teams doing it. So I don't know. No one knows. I, I wish I had a magic ball that I could like look into. <laughs> and as somebody who's, who's selling books and trying to be more part of it, it, it is hard to track it. It is hard to try to keep up with it. But mm -hmm. I do think what you'll see is you'll see more, if you consider, if you can see more consolidation, I think you will see more disruption. You'll see companies like Entangled or Blackstone, who I'm with, mid-range mid source books. You'll see more companies eking out pieces in the middle layer mm -hmm. and getting, expanding and getting wider and wider. Whereas the high, you know, big three, if it becomes that, <laughs> um, will continue to be more corporatized. And I, I do think it, I do think it still leaves pieces of the pie out there as the consolidation happens, but it can get harder um, when you when you consider some of the controversies that happen when an author for, from one line it, it gets into something with an author from another line, but they're both up to the same parent company. Those must be some interesting behind the scenes conversations happening. Right? Like, <laughs> your, your author, I can't believe your author did this. So let me come over to your office, right? Because <laughs> they're in the same building. So. 
It would be interesting that you mentioned Entangled and Blackstone. So I used to work for Entangled, full disclosure, um, and I'm also published by them. Um, if we saw kind of like a, a little bit of a fracturing in the industry, a little bit of decentralization, um, I mean, we're, we're always saying with indie publishing, like indie publishing is gaining more and more market share every year. Um, so yeah, what if, and now I'm just like going off in la la land. What if, you know, the bigger publishers weren't as in, in 10, 15 years aren't as important as they always have been. What would that landscape look like? That's interesting to think about. I think it's happening. I think it's happening constantly right now as you see more authors like Gail Carriger go hybrid. Um, Dorinda Jones now is going hybrid. Authors who still have a traditional audience and still have a traditional place in the market are seeing ways to capitalize on the rise of indie. Mm -hmm. There's, you look at some of the larger deals that happen out there, like if there's a seven, you know, a six, seven figure deal on a debut, an untested debut, that may never earn that out. There more diversification be possible if you split that up among smaller authors offering smaller advances to, to multiples. It it all seems so. It makes me think of betting, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it, but you're right. It's very hard to predict and understand. But I do think independent publishing is going to continue to carve out more and more of the market as people. There's obviously a hunger for those books. And romance is an area where you see. Independent, independent rising so quickly. People are really shifting to that model quickly. Wendy, I don't think the YA market is going away. I think it's just not as expanding as it was. And a lot of people jumped into YA during that boom too, um, because you know you could you could make a lot of money publishing a YA book. Um, and I think we're seeing kind of the repercussions of that of just kind of like the oversaturation oversaturation of writers. Um, and the the sales for YA leveling off a little bit, maybe, because um, it's just been like inclining so for so long. And you saw a lot of adult books pushed into the YA space, like when I think it was Tor publishes Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn. When Miss Mistborn started showing up on the YA shelf with a new cover, mm. uh, you saw a lot of cash grab. Right, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put an adult book into the YA space. And there's plenty of books when you read them in the YA space, you're like, wow, this is really not YA, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the but it's been classified that way. Mm -hmm. so, so Wendy, I don't know if you're um I don't know if it's a temporary thing or if you might find yourself back in YA. And it's interesting to watch how new adult is straddling that crossover audience. But I think anything that bring brings you more readers and brings more exposure to you is a positive. So if your agent can sell it as adult to gather YA crossover, which is something I'm getting a bit of with White Trash Warlock, it's positive because I have young adults reading it, though it's really an adult book. But we got a couple of YA blurbs and I'm happy to see it sold in the YA space, though it's definitely firmly on the YA shelf, on the adult shelf. Yeah. I can yeah, I can see that crossover. But so like one of the books I'm thinking of is, is Red, White and Royal Blue, which was published as adult but so many people think it's a young adult book. Like a lot of people are convinced it's a young adult book. And I think um, that's what adult does is it really straddles that line closely. Yeah. Both material from source books is another one that very adult, but it feels very widely in the emotional resonance it has. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, okay. Squ- switching gears, our next piece of news. Um, this week, we saw this kind of blow up on Twitter. The owner of Strand Bookstore put out a plea on social media for help from the community, saying their sales are down 70% compared to last year. And this is kind of a concern across the industry. A lot of bookstores are seeing lower sales compared to last year. Um, however, in this specific in- instance, criticism on social media began almost immediately Um due to earlier in the year when Strand took at least a million dollars in PPP support and then laid off its employees. Um, They had rehired and then (laughs) bought hundreds of thousands of dollars in Amazon stock. (laughs) Um, So there's like a mixed bag kind of reaction to this because obviously we want to save indie bookstores and Strand is kind of like an iconic indie bookstore. But on the other hand, um, Maybe the owner's not making some decisions that would endear it to, you know, the kind of population that wants to save indie bookstores. Um, Yeah, so uh, I'm going to put that link, of course, in the description. But then also, I think a lot of the interesting conversation is happening on Twitter. So if you want to check that out, you can probably just search Strand. There are a couple of people talking about it. Um, But yeah, it's a weird position to be in. And I think there's a couple of different bookstores where where people have that feeling like, yes, we want to save indie bookstores, but maybe not this one, <laughs> you know, specifically. Uh, so I don't know. There's a lot of emotions around this right now. I think business and, you know, business and government are just people. And people, people will make mistakes. People will make bad calls. Um, at the same time, it does make sense. I, I mean, if I was in charge of everything, I would say any kind of subsidy or PPP loan would have to be tied to employment, meaning you couldn't do a stock buyback, you couldn't do any layoffs, right? It would have to be tied to maintaining yeah. the workforce. That, that would be the focus for me if I, again, if I were in charge of things, which we're probably glad I'm not because I would not be able to. <laughs> Everyone must read three books a week, right? Um, but I, I would hate to see the strand close. I would ha- I hate to see any independent bookstore close. I, I'm certainly, I just strongly believe like we need diversity in our markets and Amazon as great of a distribution source as they are, you know, they already own book depository, which does international shipping everywhere. I feel like independence, they're just, they're just a wonderful place. So we should try to always support them um, if we can, but again, that that is one of those things where you hear that like, oh, do I want to help those guys? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just conflict in the conversation that's happening, like you said, especially on Twitter around it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it would be nice if the PPP support had had some kind of stipulation <laughs> attached. Agreed. Laura, who is your local ND? Laura lives not far from me. So I'm interested to hear. Tampa has a great one. Um, Tumblo, Tumblo. I don't know how to say it. They seem pretty good. I have to go to Tampa occasionally for work, so now I can go. Check oh them. yeah. We have great ones in Denver. Powder Cover Book Bar. Yeah, Southern I've heard. Bar. Yeah, um, the Family Bookstore in Deland. Interesting. I'll have to check that out one day. Maybe we can take a road trip or. All right, we have one last piece of news from David. So this is about the Barnes and Noble um, cyber attack, which is two weeks ago, Barnes and Noble realized that 
they were getting a ransomware attack on their systems and it basically it brought down almost everything including their nook um, deliveries and nook syncing which created a massive disruption of course on the, the main brick and mortar competitor to amazon speaking of you know the chain and that was that had to be really hard on the employees to deal with um as well as the fact that you know i've, I've watched I've, i get the emails because i'm you know i'm a member so i'm dealing with the whole none of your data was stolen we promise so yeah that that was um interesting because you heard rumblings for like two days on twitter about like people not being able to access their their nook stores or whatever um before barnes and noble said anything so i was like they might have let that go a little too long before making some kind of announcement i had a little bit of feelings about it too because my book released right in the middle of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i um i saw an indie author she was talking she's like um we're just gonna wait until next week because i don't know what's going on here um (laughs) <laughs> so a couple of episodes ago, I don't know if it, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but we were talking. Um, some of the regulars who watch the show, they want me to do a, a a spinoff called Pizza Talk Live, where I travel around to different authors and have pizza with them <laughs> and talk to them. Yeah, and I had pizza today. I'm totally in. So it's like a combination, like you know, food network show and book <laughs> and author interview show. <laughs> Oh, I like Jessica's idea. Bring the local pizza to the local bookstore. And yeah. Combo that up. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day, whenever um, I get you know someone to sponsor my travel. <laughs> all right. Um. So that's all the news that we have for you today. Sorry, there wasn't any real happy stuff there. Maybe next week. <laughs> hey, Sam. Glad you can make it. Yes, Pizza Talk Live coming to you soonish. <laughs> Um, All right, so Lauren Overweger is a highly sought-after independent book editor and ghostwriter with more than 25 years of publishing experience. Her company, Free Expressions, offers writing workshops and story development support. An award-winning author, Lauren has eight published books, including Boomerang, Rebound, and Bounce, which she co-wrote as Noel August. So please welcome to the show, Lauren. Hey, Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for chiming in on the chat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So you were also uh, previously a literary agent, uh, right, as well? Yes, very briefly. Um, <laughs> so um, to start us off, us off, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience and your career path in the publishing industry, what you've been doing Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I um, have always been a writer, you know, as long as I can remember, that's what I wanted to do. I was lucky to identify that really early on in my life. Um, And of course, you know, kind of went off the path a little bit when I went to college, I went as a psych major as my backup because obviously being a psychologist is so much more secure than being a writer. It's exactly the same, like working for yourself trying to find people to you know respond to you. Um, but I went into publishing pretty quickly after college. I worked at small publishing houses that did educational and human resource material and you know other stuff. I did travel writing and those 
quality of life books that you see all over Florida. Anytime you go somewhere, see Tampa, see Orlando, you know, whatever it is, did a lot of that. Um, and eventually um, I went to my first really major writing workshop when I was in my early twenties and met somebody, Gary Provo, who was a wonderful writer about craft, especially, and a really great mentor. And that sort of started me on my path to becoming an independent editor and uh, put out my shingle there in 95. So yeah, the company is 25 years old this year and have done things. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, had its ups and downs and, you know, all that, all that's everything you would expect from having your own business but started putting on workshops for writers in 2000. And um, that's one of my favorite things and teaching writing and of course still writing myself. So I was getting um, ghostwriting jobs and work for higher jobs. That's why I chimed in there. Have worked for packagers and publishing houses and you know private clients and done all that. But, you know, just keep I think for me, it's really always about I'm a writer. And so I try to create the things that I want as a writer. So like my workshops were very specific to my desires as a writer. What did I want when I went to something? If I was going to invest that money, what would it be like? What would it look like? What would the the level of instruction be? Um, and have just let that, you know, kind of guide me. And yes, had a brief foray into becoming a literary agent. Um, through my agency, which is Adams Literary um, in Charlotte. So the people who are my agents took me aboard as an agent. Um, and then I just discovered that everything I loved about working with writers, I was already doing, helping to story develop, helping to, you know, coach and nurture and, you know, do all that stuff. And I just simply was not cut out for agency. It was just, you know, it, like you said, too, you know, that three to five year build is, um, I think absolutely true. And when you already are wearing so many hats as I, you know, I'm very ambitious about, oh, I have time for everything. I can do everything. It's all, you know, I never stopped doing anything. I just <laughs> had jobs. I mean, that yeah. tends to be my thing. And that was just too much. You know, I was, I get a ton of email already. And that was, you know, obviously, you know, it's not that it was a surprise or will be a surprise to anybody, but it was an absolute explosion of, you know, having, you know, 500 emails in my inbox among you know various accounts to having 2000 you know in, in like no time and just not being able to do the job i wanted to do and and just feeling like i'm really suited to the other things that i'm doing and um so that you know it didn't last very long um but it was you know eye-opening and so you know very worth the experience yeah Cool. And then just keep plugging, you know, and then with this, you know, new normal, to use a term <laughs> that I absolutely despise, uh, you know, it's, I think one of the great things about doing your own, having your own business is that you have the capacity to be responsive to what's happening in the world and to change. So I was very fortunate to be able to take so much of what I do and move it into webinars. And, you know, obviously the work mm -hmm. I do for clients I don't have to be in, in person with them, except for, you know, a lot of the story development stuff, but I can still do that over Zoom and other, you know, channels. So, yeah, yeah. that's been my journey. Awesome. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what will happen in 25 years, you know, put yeah. on a lot of, you know, definitely put on a lot of hats. And, I, and I'm interested in everything. 
related yeah. to writing. So, you know, that's sort of just my natural progression. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Just like adding things on, like you're never taking anything off. Cause I feel like I do that sometimes. And at some point you have to be like, I have to, I have to let something go. I have to let one yep. thing go. Yep. That <laughs> was easy. Yeah. What were I you saying, David? Say that having those multiple hats and interests, especially getting into psychology, I think that makes you a better writer because you are diving into more experience and you're feeding that compost heap in your brain that, you know, you never know what will come out from it and growing that knowledge. Yeah. I prefer to think of it as a, you know, a mindful of gems rather than a compost heap, David. <laughs> but I mean, however you, whatever analogy you want to use for yourself. <laughs> I'm more on the morbid side of it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's it's little both depending on the day, right? <laughs> um, so Laura asked, and it, this is actually the next question. So we'll just go ahead and tie these together. Um, I would like to hear more about how you got into ghostwriting. That fascinates me. And that I so I had a similar question. I said I've always been curious about ghostwriting. What does that process look like? Um, yeah. So if you could just talk a little bit about your experience there. Of course. Um, well, I mean, I, I kind of, I think I've managed to get into a lot of things just through doing pretty well at other things. Um, you know, sort of a, a meritocracy, which is nice, you know, at least, you know, if I can't experience that on a grander level right now, um, <laughs> which we won't get into. Um, but, but, you know, what I started to do, you know, I've been editing for a super long time. And then, there were people I took on as clients who needed more writing than editing, you know, who mm -hmm. needed, you know, something in between kind of book doctoring and writing. And so then I started doing that for some private clients. And, um, and I guess it was when I met an editor, uh, Emma Dryden, who um, is a wonderful children's book editor. Um, and she used to be with Simon and Schuster for a very long time. And we just got to know each other. And she, is actually the first person who got me into a project with her, with a publisher. It wasn't Simon and Schuster, but it was um, who the heck was it with? Now I can't remember. Um, <laughs> Houghton Mifflin, hardcore. Um, Houghton Mifflin, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was just sort of being a known quantity to her, and you know, sharing our writing philosophies, and her having seen my writing, you know, in other, you know, in other arenas, and so she brought me onto a project that she had been kind of asked to project manage. And that was, um, it was a nonfiction project. It was taking a book that had been published very successfully in the adult market and adapting it for the young adult market. And that sort of became a little bit of my niche for a while, taking a few different projects that had been like New York Times bestsellers for the adult market and, you know, recrafting them and adding material and, you know, doing all that. Um, so that's how I got into it on the publishing level and on the level where it became, you know, decently rewarding on a, you know, financial level. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and then the process is really, you know, it's different every time. Sometimes the people I'm writing, sometimes the, you know, the extensive authors are much more hands-on. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, that first project that I did, I just went and spent basically one weekend with the the writer um, and, you know, did a lot of interviewing and gathering material. And, you know, again, I also had the adult book, you know, the book for adults, not adults, um, to work with and, you know, and rework. But it's, it's often interviewing that person, 
crafting you know, the material, going back to that person, getting their feedback. So it's a little bit of collaboration. And then of course, collaborating with the editors at the publishing house and you know, doing all that. And then um, getting to see your book come out without any acknowledgement that you had anything to do with it, which can be, you know, it's, uh, I do have an ego. So sometimes it's like, you know, that New York Times book review is for me, you Aww. know, um, but sometimes it's also like, oh, you know, the thing that, that I struggled with was also pointed out by reviewers and nobody knows that I, you know, what my journey was in there and I can just be a little mouse in the corner observing. So, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of, you know, uh, the light and shadow, you know, with the publishing experience. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's really interesting. And it's really one of the things I've appreciated about it is I've done a lot of nonfiction and my interests are really much more in fiction. And so it's allowed me to get into topics I would never have gotten into and to mm -hmm. learn things I wouldn't have learned. Um, and that is really rewarding. So that's been, that's been really great. And the last project I did, I kind of moved up from ghostwriter to co-author in that I got a cover credit for the first time. Oh. Um, and that was a book that I wrote with um, Chris Anderson, who is the director of TED Talks. Yeah, the TED Talks book. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's a book on public. And that is literally of eight books, the first book that has my real name on the cover. So what's the yeah. difference there? Like why, why is your name on that cover and not the others? Because Chris Anderson is generous and just was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> she's doing all this work, put her on the cover. You know, we always ask. I think that's, you know, one of the things mm. my agent, you know, regularly does. And um, this was, Chris was the first person to say it was okay. And usually it's a, it's a response from the publishing house. I don't think it's necessarily a response from the other like authors. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Chris is, he has a lot of clout, so he could say, yeah, let's, you know, let's do it. So that was, that's nice. It's great. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I guess the nature of ghostwriting is really, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be mm -hmm. seen, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's what you sign up for. Um, I'm curious. I have a friend who wrote, uh, it wasn't ghostwriting. It was work for hire. Mm -hmm. um, so he wrote for a flat fee. And then the book turned out to be like super way more successful than anyone thought, yep. um, you know, listed and everything. And, but all he ever gets is that flat fee. Yeah. That's the tough part of work <laughs> for hire. I mean, that's, that's what you're signing up for. And some of those contracts are, you know, really Dickensian, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's bad news. It's like here, your alms go eat some girl, you know, write this book. Um, and that is tough. I've known, you know, I've had other clients who've been in that position and man, it's painful to, you know, to see your book sell, you know, 500,000 copies and you got your $5,000 check, yeah. you know, three years ago. Um, and you don't get to acknowledge it or, you know, you can't really even use it on your resume exactly. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. I was going to say it has to come with a pretty tight NDA, right? Or the contract is you have to keep it pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's strange because I've worked on um, work for hire projects and I've worked on ghostwriting projects where um, the person I was working with acknowledged publicly that they were working with somebody. So they sort of, you know, broke the NDA kind of in a, in a way. But, you know, it's I don't know that anybody's I think at the level that I've done the work or my clients have done the work. Yeah, I don't think anybody's taking anybody to court for saying, you know, I worked on that book, but it sure it still doesn't fill your pockets 
you know, even <laughs> if you get to say, you know, I was the person who wrote, you know, Sisterhood of Traveling Pants or, you know, whatever the, you know, some of those big ones are. That's a, it's an old reference, but um, yeah. That's, yeah. You, you, you have to be okay with what you're signing up for. Um, so before the show, I post on my Patreon and I allow the Patreon supporters to submit questions ahead of time. Um, mm -hmm. And so we have some questions. David, do you want to read that first one from Lodestar? Let me scroll down to it. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I have it. I'm sorry. Okay. It's okay. Um, so yeah, Lodestar submitted and he's here um, tonight. Um have you or anyone you ever heard of declined to ghostwrite for someone or a particular topic? Hundred <laughs> percent. I've I've well, and I've declined a lot on the private level. I've been approached an awful lot, you know, by potential private clients, and I've done some. I mean, I've worked with people. I did a book with a woman who had climbed um, all of the major seven summits of the world and run. Uh, marathons on, in all seven continents, seven continents, um, after age like 60 or something. Like she was a really fascinating person. So those kinds of books can be really inspiring. But I've also gotten approached by very sketchy people or people whose, you know, politics I could not, you know, I don't want to spend my talents helping to promote. Um, and that's just a personal thing. Um, and I've been approached a lot to do, to ghostwrite fiction. And I've done a little of that in the, you know, in the work for hire capacity, but for the most part, if I'm writing fiction, I, you know, I just want to put, it's, it's just for me, you know, so I don't do a lot of that, but yes, I mean, I've turned down a number of jobs and I've certainly had other clients who've turned down a number of jobs. I had a friend who turned down um, becoming part of the Star Wars franchise, writing franchise, oh, wow. just because of, you know, her own aspirations and goals and you know projects that she had going on um mm. you know even though that's you know that's a guaranteed at least it's financially rewarding and you know it's certainly uh, interesting to be part of that whole you know kind of publishing juggernaut but also you're open to so much like virulent critique too you know mm. i don't like that would be those kinds of things would be terrifying to me to be part of because sometimes the fandom can be Tough, yeah, tough crowd. <laughs> we talk yeah, we about exposure I, as a I had career, that. but that means exposure, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because I've we talked about um, Alex Aguirre was on the show. And we talked about that a little bit, and he was kind of like, "Uh, oh, it doesn't bother me." <laughs> Whereas I know other people like it. You know, it really does. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well. well He's been dealing with Archie comics for a while, so I'm sure that helps yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, and it's different. It depends on the readers and the you know the fandom. Like I think about like Chuck Wendig and the you know Star Wars stuff and everything he went through, which was you know tough. And to the extent they were trying to like dox him, and you know it's different to be even harshly critiqued than to have your actual personal life interfered with. So mm -hmm. they're yeah, it's not something I am too interested in signing up for. All right. Um, so switching gears, we have another question from Lodestar. David, you're ready this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, I had to find the right spot there. Um, you, what kind of places make a good setting host spot for a writing retreat? Do most people get seriously into writing or do they get distracted and network? That's a good question. Well, that's a great question. Um, I have done 
gosh, I've done so much of so many different things in this arena. So um, when I put on workshops, the workshops that I do, um, especially ones I do with a literary agent, Don Moss, they're very generative. You are writing in class for three hours every day. Like that's the whole workshop is you're writing and writing and generating material. Then you're having meetings that are story development meetings. Then you're having homework and, you know, things to turn in. Um, and there's definitely networking at meals and things like that. Um, but you're working and those are the kinds of workshops. I like, I like to really have people dig in and I, as a writer, I want to go and dig in. Um, and I've also done everything from having like writing groups back in the day when we traveled and did things. Um, many times like a, a close writing group would bring me in when they were going on retreat, like on a, to like mm -hmm. a beach house or something. And I'd just be like the the editor troll in a cave and, you know, they'd come in and talk to me and brainstorm. And, you know, then I would lead like critique groups and do little like mini craft instruction kind of moments. Um, but, you know, that's, I would say a good 60% wine and food, 40% <laughs> writing and writing chat. But I think that's appropriate. Um, but I think, yeah, and I've done, gosh, I've done workshops in like the most ramshackle old retreat centers that were like, you know, a step away from being torn down. <laughs> <laughs> Once that had, I literally used to go to a place, uh, I used to do this 10 day workshop and I did it for many, many years, decades. Um, and it was in this place that was an old Catholic retreat center. And mostly they hosted like, you know, groups of like kids in these really monastic rooms. And, um, but the, there were two like retreat master rooms that were the fancy rooms which were, you know, in no way fancy, but one of them literally had a sign on the wall that said, asbestos, do not touch. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was the best. And um, the shower in my room, the, the the handle for it was like a giant plumber's wrench. It was like a wrench this big to like get your shower. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's it. Like there's, and there were ghosts and, you know, it was, um, like sometimes those places that have that are very like low amenity are high creativity because mm -hmm. there's not that much to distract you and you feel like you're in camp together and you know all of that good stuff um but i think it really depends on how determined the writers are to get stuff done because just like if you have a book club you know how it is like sometimes your book club is the wine club where they you know at the end <laughs> yeah. of it you're like oh did we ever talk about the book <laughs> no but here you know drink a lot of Chardonnay. Um, and sometimes people are like, let's talk about this book, like intensely. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit the location and a lot the, you know, the people who are involved. Did that answer the question? Did I miss some? No, I, I think that's good, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I've definitely been on some retreats that are, um, you know, that we, I wrote like, um, I went up to, my friend had a cabin in, in near Asheville and, um, I went with one other friend and I wrote like 18,000 words in four days, you know? Yeah. But then I've had other ones like usually at the beach where it's like, yeah. well, I got, I got a thousand words a day. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's even good. In the only room. Like if you're in this room, there's no talking, you write. If you, mm -hmm. if you want to socialize, that's awesome. Go out on the back porch or whatever. But often find if you have a location where you can have separate spaces. But, and I learned that from Carol Berg. At, she does a retreat regularly. Like, if you are in this room, you are to be writing, no talking. <laughs> if you can go socialize elsewhere, I think that's a smart move. It is. That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I have I, that thing where as a writer, if I'm expected to be writing, I just am naturally subversive, you know, where I'm just like, yeah. you know, no, even though this is the perfect location, apparently I'm not going to, you know, do anything or I'll just, you know. Yeah, I've definitely seen some like structured retreats where they're like, okay, the writing time is like nine, nine to 12. And then, and then like the evening is for social events. And I'm like, my brain does not like I can't write at nine. I can't like my brain refuses to kick into gear. So the obviously, I'm not going to go on something like that. Because like, <laughs> yeah, you know, what's the point? Yep. Um, I think I could go to classes at nine, but I couldn't generate work at nine <laughs> yeah i can when i'm on deadline like oh, I, yeah. I can be very motivated when there's a check and a contract i've done yeah. writing at all times a day under those circumstances and written you know fifteen thousand words in a day you know like yeah. because i'm also a very high functioning procrastinator mm. um <laughs> yeah yay for the win yeah uh, i still keeping your secret on spec and i i wrote it in five weeks yeah it's um, amazing so, yeah yeah we had to do that with the boomerang books too. We also sold it on, you know, we had a 40 page sample and a synopsis and we sold three books that had to come out in, we had to write in 14 months. Mm, yeah. So that was, you can do it. Um, let's see. Do we have time for two more questions or just one? Let's do, let's do the final question. This is a question I ask every guest. Um, and one day I'm going to put together a super cut of all the answers. Um, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. What is the most important book you've ever read and why? Ooh. Um, and then I, important like to you or like define important however you would like basically. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, that's what a terrible question, but a great one. <laughs> um, because I have a hundred answers that are crowded into my head at one time, but I will <laughs> say that for, <sighs> can I give two, can I say two? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Danielle Clayton was the first one to give to. So since yeah. then, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, I mentioned subversion, so I'm going to subvert those rules <laughs> a little. Um, one of them, I think, is The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Jester, which is a kid's book. Um, but it's one that I still read probably once a year, well into my very advanced adulthood. Um, it is just so imaginative and it has, you know, beautiful wordplay and it's got like an incredible message and it's funny. And it was really one of the first books I read and I must've been maybe seven or eight when I first read it, um, that just showed me how delightful books can be, like what magic they can really be. I mean, I loved reading anyway, but this that book is just phenomenal. And I recommend it constantly all the time to everybody. Um, and then in the adult realm, there's a book by the British writer, Martin Amos, and it's called Time's Arrow. Mm. And it is such a tour de force. Um, just quickly, it's a, about a man who at the time of his death, his consciousness kind of splits off and he lives his life backward. And it's literally backward where every action is in reverse. It's not just like your days are backward, but you're moving forward. It's like eating is the opposite of eating. Everything is you know, done in reverse. Um, and it's ultimately a story about a doctor during the Holocaust in a concentration camp, um, which is not a spoiler, it's very you know, well known, but just the audacity of it and the genius of it and the like high level ambition in that book is really inspiring. Um, and, you know, I think people have all kinds of feelings about Martin Amos as a writer. He could be very like over the top and cynical and British, you know, <laughs> but it's 
such a, it's just like what an idea and what an execution, like it's, you know, it's a book that's really admirable. And that's another one that I'll read. I don't read it. It's not as delightful to read like once a year, um, but just in terms of like, wow, degrees of difficulty. I think that, you know, I, I look up to that book and I don't think I'd ever attempt, you know, a similar thing, but it's, it's really, I think, um, gratifying as an artist to read. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't read it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a dense read. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read it in twenty years, but I still think about it. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't like well beloved or anything. Like it's not one of his better, you know, reviewed books or any of that. But I just, you know, mm. I like it. Um, Ebony always comments on the looks that people make when I ask that question. <laughs> the faces that people make. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a super cut of those too one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Something to live for. All right, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Really thank you so much great for having, having you on. Yeah, um, I'm glad we got to do this. Lauren and I met um, at a writing conference in Tampa originally, mm -hmm. I think. Or yeah. did we did we meet FWA ever? Maybe. Maybe or SCBWI somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just around, you know, the around. central Florida, <laughs> yeah. greater area. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks so much for coming on. Lauren's um, website and social media is in the description. So you make sure you go check her out um, and check out the workshops that she has coming up too. Some with Donald Moss. And I will, I just have to say, like I told you, Lauren, before, but um, Donald Moss did a one hour workshop at an RWA convention mm -hmm. and it literally changed my life. Like I rewrote, it's it's literally just him like shouting questions at you for like 50 minutes <laughs> pretty um good questions very socratic just, yeah now yeah. this now can you do that can you do and that? i do i that? rewrote like my entire book after after that workshop and um yeah so definitely check out those classes i the other ones i'm sure are great too but the, yeah we the, have good people yeah and you were kind enough to just do one which you know was really well received too so thank yeah, you again thanks. for that Thanks. Um, yeah. So uh, check out the classes and Lauren's website and social media and everything. Um, and David and I just have a couple things to do before we um, close out. So bye, Lauren. And bye. We'll Thank you again. You All right. So this is normally where I do audiobook of the week. Um, but like I mentioned in the last episode, I'm judging for the Audis and I'm not allowed to talk about the books that I'm listening to. So David is going to talk about some of his that he listened to recently and liked. So I just wrote an article for Publishers Weekly on urban fantasy. And that means that I have been mainlining urban fantasy. And there's a couple that I meant to catch up with. So I'm actually pulling up my library now. <laughs> um, I listened to Katie Edwards, The Last Son is the tarot sequence, and mm. full disclosure, he blurbed White Trash Warlock, so he's kind of become a friend, and I didn't read his stuff before because it was adjacent to mine, and I didn't want it to influence me on voice, but then I read The Last Son on Audible, and like, oh man, it went right to the second one, like the next day. <laughs> basically like an amazing um, high fantasy, but still urban, with a very fantastic world in the universe, like really great magic. Um, I also listened to Jade City by Fonda Lee. Mm -hmm. that article, brutal street level um, magic is definitely there present in Jade as a, as a power source and as a channel for magic. 
really interesting puzzle of a book with shifting points of view. Good, good book. And then I'll end on um, Fellow of the Dark by Caleb Rorig. I don't yeah. know correctly. Um, imagine if Buffy were a bit of a snarky gay boy living in an Illinois suburb where they know vampires exist. <laughs> it's, a, it's YA and... Um, if you pardon the pun, it's got a real bite. Like I just really enjoyed the wit and the humor and the way that he's dealing with like being, like a vampire tells him he's the chosen one and his first reaction is, this is just a seduction technique. You just want to eat me, go away. <laughs> like It's great. I love the voice. So there's three. That's, that's great. Um, Zoraida Cordova was on a while back and she also mentioned Jade City during the audiobook portion. So it's funny. Book, yeah. again, you need to be ready for it. It's it's not a light listen or light. <laughs> um, and your book is on audiobook too. We are, and yeah. I'm very very happy with my narrator. It's um, yeah. Michael Axtell who did on uh, Night House. He has a pretty extensive resume, and was, I was super happy. And I'm I had to go back through the book last week when it came out, or two weeks ago, for um because I'm writing book three now. Yeah. I, some very fine details like that happens over a series of edits as you know so i was like i just want to listen to the audiobook so i don't have to read this darn thing again <laughs> i was very pleased with what i was getting like oh he did such a good job I'm awesome. really this generation. i'll have to listen to it once i get done with the the audis um yeah because your publisher um emailed me and uh they were like we have this book i think it was like pitch shows supernatural meets sean mcguire right and which I was like, okay, like I, I didn't watch Supernatural because I saw one episode and it was too scary because I'm a big wimp. Um, and apparently it's like the scariest episode of Supernatural ever. I just happened to watch like this. Huh? Of course you picked that one, right? Yeah. The one you want. Um, that's what people tell me, but like I haven't been brave to go back. Um, but then I started reading the description and I was like, this sounds awesome. And so I responded, I said, do you have an audiobook? And they're like, oh, it won't be an audiobook for a while. And I was like, I'm literally taking no print books right now. Um, but I'll take this one. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you so, it. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I, I got it because I really enjoyed it. And um, I, I took his book on an uh, Instagram photo shoot last week when it came out. So check that out on Instagram. Uh, I happen to live in a very rural, rural area. So it gave me a lot of opportunities. <laughs> I need to uh, put I need to put a scene or a novella, novella or something there in Florida. I've spent enough time in Florida to really soak up some of the rural vibe. Oh yeah, yeah. You can just set it in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, all right, so it's time to discuss the viewer poll. So let's see what people said. Um, have you taken? On, I'm trying to find the window so I can see it full screen. Have you taken an online writing publishing course workshop? Um, and then I also told people to reply if they if there was one they really liked and they wanted to recommend. So go check out um, the replies for recommendations. So, um, but twenty nine point five percent has said yes. They've taken several. Thirty six point four percent said yes, one or two, and thirty four percent said no. Almost an even distribution there. Yeah, it's it's really even. Um, yeah, when I first started getting into writing, so my degree is in mechanical engineering. I have like the last time I took an English class was in high school because I like AP'd out of, you know, all of them in um, college. Um, and so when I first started getting back into writing, uh, I took, 
Um, I think I took a writer's digest class and I took some, some others um, that kind of like got me jump started. And so um, obviously I'm, I'm a fan um, especially because I, I live in an area where there's not like a publishing center, you know? Um, and so most of the classes that good classes that you can take are online, but I should also caveat this by saying that I literally run a newsletter that puts out author events and writing workshops. <laughs> and so I don't know if this is skewed because a lot of people, you know, follow me specifically for that. So um, <laughs> I don't know. It's not a scientific poll. It's fine. <laughs> well, I think there's a different, I mean, we're in a point now, like I had my two release events virtually. So, mm -hmm. which is nice because the one was with Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego. The other was with Murder by the Book in Houston. And of course the people that were attending were nowhere. <laughs> yeah. There were some people local to that. Most of them were very wide distribution. Mm -hmm. And it's cool that in an online workshop or an online class, you get to meet people that you wouldn't get to meet at a local conference or at a local workshop, as well as you get to interact um, you know, globally, hopefully more on your own time. So you can kind of wear what you want. <laughs> you don't have to be yeah. quite as um, organized. I like, I like asynchronous learning a lot. And I think, I think it's got a future even beyond, you know, if we reach a point where we have a vaccine and we can all gather again for conferences, which I'm missing terribly, I think we talked a bit in the pre-show about that. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I I could see the learning portion. I like that, you know, I don't have to travel. I don't have to pay for a hotel room. I can I can teach remotely and I can attend remotely. Mm -hmm. I like, well, especially the uh, more casual, like author, not necessarily writing classes, but like the author chats. I like that I can put them on my TV while I'm like doing laundry or, you know, um, I listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do that while I'm cooking, while I'm cleaning. And so it's kind of like the same thing. Like I can put those on while I'm doing other things, keep my mind engaged. Um, and so I'm able to attend more that way, but in the same breath, I'm an extrovert and I really miss being around people. <laughs> yeah. I'm an introvert and even I'm feeling it where, yeah, yeah I, you have a hard time dragging me out of the house anyway, but I get, I have, um, a big conference once or twice a year. I have my um, trick or read Halloween party where we gather books up to give out to kids. It's a party for introverts. And even I'm feeling like I need some yeah. people. <laughs> my poor partner yeah. like enough. Go away. <laughs> I've um, I have long said that extroverts are energy vampires, and we like feed off of introverts. So that's why we get energy and and you lose energy. <laughs> my brother so is extrovert and he's exhausting <laughs> like I love him but it's just like after three hours I'm like oh my god would you just stop <laughs> yeah I'm an engineer I work in a library and I'm a writer like I work in three industries that are full of introverts I don't know how this happened <laughs> you, have a, you have a fascinating resume you and Lauren both <laughs> yeah um all right so that's pretty much everything David thank you so much for joining me today um David's website and social media is also in the description down below if you got the newsletter there's a link to his book white trash warlock check it out and um yeah that, i think that's it so uh thank you david i'm going to just close this out with a couple of things and i'll see you in a minute All right. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in today. Thank you if you're watching the replay. Thank you for that. And if you're listening on the podcast, I'm happy to have you. Uh, 
Oh, thank you, Wendy. She said, thank you for another fabulous talk, talk show. And thank you, David and Lauren. Thank you, Wendy. Um, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right down there uh, so you don't miss another episode. Also tell your friends because that's how they find out about things like this. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to the email in the description down below. The link for the Patreon is also in the description. Thank you so much, my Patreon supporters. And I'm going to get to work on some of those suggestions y'all provided to me this week. Um, the social media for the guests is in the description. I mentioned that before, but I just want to make sure you go check that out. We'll have the links from the news items in, in just a minute. And, um, upcoming, we have Wednesday write-ins every week at 8 PM. We're continuing those through at least November. So hopefully you'll join us for those where we just do some structured writing time, kind of like a modified Pomodoro method where we chat and we write and chat and write. Um, and then this is, brand new exclusive information Saturday November 7th we have an agent chat live coming up with Megan Manzano so if you haven't seen those those are kind of like casual chats with literary agents where you get to know them a little bit better um so that's not even on the calendar yet but we just scheduled it so uh hopefully you'll tune in for that thank you so much for watching everyone um have a a good rest of your weekend stay safe wash your hands wear a mask and we'll see you next time